Hello, I'm Jen Choi. Welcome to Voices of Private Equity, a podcast hosted by ILPA, the Institutional Limited Partners Association. In this series, through candid conversations with the people who power this amazing industry, we go beyond the labels and the headlines. Join me in getting to know the individuals who are shaping the future of private equity. In this episode, we're joined by Kimberly Woods. Kimberly is the Director of Risk and Investment Compliance for the District of Columbia Retirement Board, which manages $9 billion in assets on behalf of 20,000 active and retired teachers, police officers, and firefighters in the district. Kimberly has served as an ILPA board member, a longtime member of the ILPA Industry Affairs Committee, as well as ILPA's Diversity and Inclusion Advisory Council. And on a personal note, Kimberly's also been an incredible friend to me and a thought partner over the years. And uh, for better or worse, she's got a direct role in my own coming to ILPA several years ago. So Kimberly, thanks for joining me today. I think it's great that you are highlighting and spotlighting individuals that are in that LP asset allocator spot. I joined the District of Columbia Retirement Board a few years ago and have really been part of the effort to formalize how we think about risk, risk assessment, and investment compliance within the context of a public pension fund scheme. Let's talk about you a bit. The bulk of your career, you've been an LP before DCRB. You were with the IAM, uh, the Machinists Pension Fund, and prior to that, mm-hmm. the mine workers. Mm-hmm. So what has drawn you to becoming, and, and most importantly, staying an LP versus going on that path in investment banking where you started out or becoming a GP yourself? You know, it's it's interesting. I've I've had a lot of great opportunities where I started off what I would consider kind of a traditional equity research investment banking role at at Wall Street firms and being able to take that skill set and work within the confines of a corporation where I was involved with M&A, joint venture, strategic investing, really got me thinking about, you know, what do I want to do with the rest of my life? And I think that I've taken a holistic approach to career. And I've always thought about in this phase of my career, doing things that benefit and help people. Certainly, I think we all want to feel valued in organizations that respect our skill set. But I think recognizing that I'm giving back to an organization where ultimately I'm benefiting someone who's depending on that annuity is pretty significant for me. And it allows me to know that every day that I go in, that I'm part of something bigger where the mission is to benefit someone. And I recognize that I'm not operating in a vacuum. I'm operating on the auspice that it is really, truly, these are individuals who are depending on this for their livelihood. And it's much bigger than that larger company where it was hard to really quantify what I was doing and what that greater mission was. So for me, being in an organization that's mission-driven was an important part of, of why I love the LP work. I really do. Certainly, my career has evolved. I spent the first 20 years primarily focused on the investment side. And I think now having the ability to be multifaceted, to be able to have the conversations with our managers, understand their language of of how they expect to create value and translate that into looking at their operating model and having those intelligent but challenging conversations about risk. For me, I've come full circle and I I realized that perhaps I found my knitting, perhaps I found my true talent. 
I would comment and say that certainly seems to be the case based on what I know of where your passions lie. Let's go a little deeper on that, given that your role at DCRB, you know, having moved from the investment side to more of the risk and compliance side, it's putting specific emphasis, for example, on operational due diligence and legal contracts. You have long been focused on fee transparency and fee validation. And I know this continues to be a priority that's elevated at DCRB. You've joined me along with some other ILPA members over the years in a number of discussions with the SEC, with the commissioners, with the staff there. How has SEC oversight impacted the industry generally and how you think about your job as an LP? Absolutely. I'm so overly enthusiastic about this. I mean, I I definitely think that through the membership of, of ILPA and through my individual engagement with the Industry Affairs Committee, I've had the pleasure and the honor of being able to go on Capitol Hill to speak to legislators about the needs for transparency, alignment of interest, fund governance, having effective fund governance. I think that the engagement with the SEC and the commission there has really supported the point that, yes, these are highly negotiated contracts between two counterparties. We all have highly intelligent individuals that represent us in legal negotiation. But at the core, the foundation of it is we all want to make sure that we understand the cost. We all want to make sure that we feel that the expenses are appropriately allocated. We all want to make sure that our managers are motivated. We all want to make sure that we have a contract that is fair, that protect all parties. I think about the partnership agreement as this overarching document that although it's a legal document, it somewhat governs the relationship, right, between me, DCRB as the investor and the manager. And it really provides kind of the safety net that when the relationship is great and performance is great and there's no changes and everything operates according to plan, then we're all happy. But I also look at having this strong contract and having the appropriate transparency on fees and expenses, alignment of interests and strong fund governance, having that appropriate contract also provides that safety net should something go wrong. And I've had the pleasure or not so much of dealing with challenging situations with fund managers. So I think having a regulator who understands why we as institutional investors need transparency to prudently monitor our investments is just critical. Without the appropriate transparency, it's difficult to say that that we are really supporting our boards of our pension funds or endowments and foundation in their fiduciary duty because you really need to understand the costs. I mean, the totality of the costs are, are critical. Absolutely. And and I think you make a great point about the connection between the regulator and the contract that's being negotiated heavily in many cases between LPs and GPs. To stick with, with you, but maybe talk a bit more about your personal journey. As we're talking today, we're in the midst of Black History Month, and we're all navigating what we hope is a tectonic shift in how our industry hires, promotes, rewards its people. But sadly, there are still far too few women and even fewer women of color in leadership positions in the private markets. So how has your own personal experience reflected this very long journey that we're on within the industry? 
You know, it's interesting when I when I look at the current environment we live in today and I look at the social climate, there are periods where I feel like my journey, my personal career journey has been great. But I also recognize that it has not been without challenges. And I also recognize that in many, many GP circles where I've been the only woman of color on many LPACs, I've been the only woman or the only woman of color. In many other organizations, I've been the only woman of color that respectfully participated in investment decisions and oftentimes presented to our boards. And so I think it is so critical for organizations, whether it's LP or GP, to not just think about diversity inclusion efforts in terms of numbers and think about accountability, why it's important to have different people around the table, different voices individuals inherently, we all have our biases. We all may look at the world through different lenses, but I think that mosaic, that collection of different views creates great organizations. And and from that creates great teams that can produce great investment outcomes. I think without that, you somewhat fall flat and you miss out on the potential for really building great organizations, great portfolio. So I've been blessed to be part of organizations where I've had great mentors. I've had individuals that have really stood up for me and empowered me and promoted me and supported me in that endeavor. And that gave me the foundation to have the courage to have a voice. It has not been without challenge, but I realized that at the end end of the day, that nothing is going to be perfect. And I think I come in to work every day to be better, to do better. Because I realize I have a 15-year-old daughter who's looking at me, who's going to go out into this world. And I want to be a contributor to this world and hopefully it'll be better for her. So I think that as we all think about diversity inclusion efforts, my thought, my prayer is that it will be a better place for all of our girls, for all of our boys, for all of our kids, as we model what we want for our kids. Right. And I think you you mentioned mentorship, sponsorship, support, people encouraging you to have your voice. And I also think about what are we doing to show the next generation of kids that a career in private equity is, is in the cards for them. It is a possibility And I know sometimes it can be difficult to explain Mm -hmm. to our kids what we do, and even harder if you try to explain what an LP is. What do you think about the various efforts underway across the industry now to engage young people about opportunities in private equity, especially young people who maybe wouldn't have seen themselves in this industry five or 10 years ago? I think that's significant because I think like everything else, If you're a young professional or if you're in undergrad or a high schooler and you're thinking about a career and you may you may decide, okay, I've I've taken that algebra class, I've taken that calculus class, I'm seeing about what's happening in terms of day trading, but you don't necessarily connect the dots. I think we have an opportunity now to help our kids connect the dots and realize there there is a world out here in finance. There's a collection of different types of roles and jobs that you can have in finance. When I try to describe to my daughter what I do, and I've explained to her about pensions, and when I say to her, I work for a pension fund, she thinks of it in the, in the context of my grandmother and, and having that ability to, to work for a long time and retire. But I think 
it also has hit her that who's going to invest and help those assets grow. And that I've said to her, there's a whole industry, a collection of, of individuals and organizations that work to support the growth of those assets so that individuals who worked and have had a career have the ability to retire and have income and, and have sufficient income to retire. So I think the idea of businesses partnering with even organizations like ILPA to help identify and source talent is critical. I think the recruiting of talent is one part, mentoring, supporting individuals, because we know now that recruiting is one part, but making sure that individuals that come into your organization feel supported, that there's accountability, that there is support, that there's opportunity is important because I think that so often many companies have recruiting programs. In some instances, it stops there. And the next phase of it is how do we ensure that individuals that are recruited have the necessary infrastructure to support their endeavor to be successful? And then there's another aspect of that. Well, what is success, right? And I think success means different things to to many different people. But I think from my vantage point, opening the door, having access to those opportunities, but also providing opportunities for people to be mentored and supported is a critical part to the long-term success for any organization that's thinking about diversity and inclusion efforts. Yeah, so much of the emphasis of late, it feels like it's been heavily weighted towards those incoming analysts, right? Yes. So yes. you can get in mm-hmm. an analyst class that's you know 50% diverse, which is phenomenal, but can you keep them? And what are you doing to make the workplace really feel like an inclusive one that welcomes them, that nurtures them over time? So it's, it's a really excellent point. To stay on a, a bit of a heavy topic, you and I have talked a bit about the events here in our fair city in January and the riots at the Capitol. And you are a native Washingtonian, which we, mm-hmm. we say is kind of a rare thing, but you're a third generation DC native. And how have you reflected on the events of January 6th? It's interesting for me because I think being a native Washingtonian, but sitting here on that day, watching what I would assume was a routine process in our country in terms of our democracy, it really was surreal to be in my home, to be on Zoom calls or due diligence calls that day, and to realize that the feel and the safety of the city visibly felt different. I think that as a country, we reached an inflection point where fear in certain spaces has taken over. I think that this is where diversity and inclusion really comes into play because I think so much of our inherent biases and feeling that we don't matter, that our voices don't matter. When I look at what occurred on that day, it was a sense of sadness. But I think I continue to have hope I think we all continue to have hope. I think that showing my daughter, my husband, I showing my daughter that it is important to continue to have courage to speak up, but it's also important to know that we have to be respectful and how we exchange our perspectives was an exercise for all of us because I think that so much of what I saw and the violence was was quite disturbing for me. And it's not something that I would typically see in my day-to-day workplace. 
when I think about the parallels of the GPLP relationship, oftentimes there may be a negotiations where we're so far apart. And how do we find that middle ground, right? How do we find that middle ground in an environment that's so competitive in terms of allocation of capital? And it's finding that grace. It's using that grace. It's finding that middle ground. It's being able to recognize that at the end of the day, we all have our mission. The GP has the mission of being able to execute their strategy with the team they have. And as an LP, whatever that mission is we have in terms of serving our base, whether it's the the beneficiaries of our plan, whether it's the support of our endowment or foundation, there's typically that commonality. And I think what I realized on that one day on January 6th, we didn't find that middle ground. We didn't come together to respectfully demonstrate. And I think there's just lots of lessons that we can all learn about coming together and respectfully having that that discourse and learning how to communicate and learning how to have differences, but in a respectful way. So I think for me, it was a humbling experience to see. And I think it will forever be something that will be imprinted in, in who I am as a person. And it's also a reminder of how we always have to have the courage to speak up and do what's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and and I appreciate how eloquently you tied that back to the grace that we need to have in in how we think about our our partnerships, our investment partnerships in this industry, and maintaining that absolute discipline around respect to one another. The last question I had for you, and it may even tie back to the comments that you just shared, is what you're reading right now. You'd mentioned a book by Sheryl Sandberg that you've picked up uh, at some point during COVID. What was it about this book that appealed to you? Yes. So Sheryl Sandberg, COO of Facebook, and I've read a few of her first books about career evolution and leaning in and seeking those opportunities. Since then, I have had, I've experienced personal grief of my own with with the passing of, of my grandmother, who when I think about the mentors in my in my personal life or when I think about career mentors, she she was my biggest fan. And I think this book really resonated because it was less about grief and more about resilience. And I think anyone that's going through some level of change, whether it's personal, professional, supporting our kids who are working remotely, whether it's dealing with family members who may have experienced loss or other health issues, career development and and professional development, any kind of life transformation. I think as I started to read this book, I realized it was relatable for me. It It was something where I thought through, how can I be more resilient? What can I do on a daily basis to create those healthy habits? that helped me push through the daily grind of the challenges that we all face. From my vantage point, I'm still working remotely and still trying to support my family and my my 15-year-old daughter who says, when is this global pandemic going to be over? So I think trying to find books that I think speak to me, that help me in, in terms of personal growth. And this is one that I would say for me really touched my heart at a time when I was trying to heal from grief. And I have not had the pleasure of meeting her, but I would say that it is one that I would highly recommend to anyone that has had any level of of challenge or adversity 
and just getting back to that place of building that resilience is something that I think we all probably could benefit from a a boost of, of encouragement and positivity. I don't know that we mentioned the title of the book, but it is option B. Is that right? Option B, option B. Mm -hmm. Well, you couldn't be more correct that if ever we needed to learn resilience, if we haven't done it after a year being in quarantine, I have concerns. But Kimberly, thank you so much for your inspiring words. You you promised and offered a bit of wisdom, and I think you more than delivered. So thank you. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. 